The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Proverbs chapter 30, looking at Proverbs 31 through 9 this afternoon. We edge ever so closer to the end of this book. Proverbs 30, verses 1 through 9. Let's give our attention now. As God Himself speaks to us in His most pure and holy word. The words of Agur, son of Yeka, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, profane the name of my God. This concludes the reading of God's Word. May God now grant to us the blessing of His Spirit to hear it. Well, when I was in high school, I tried out for the basketball team. Now, my chances were slim because it was a school of 400. I wasn't really all that talented, and I was not that athletic. If I had Brian's height, I might have had a better shot at it. But I gave it my best shot. And after tryouts, they posted on the coach's bulletin board the results. So I remember walking down that hallway towards the coach's office, look at the bulletin board, and scan the names of those who had made the cut. And as I scanned the names, lo and behold, my name was not on that list. But I tried the next year. This time, I put in the effort, figuring, well, I can't just walk on without some sort of effort. So I hit the weight room over the summer. I went to their basketball camps over the summer. I put in some more work and tried out once again. And I still remember walking down that hallway, walking to that bulletin board. And this time, my name was still not on that list. So I tried a third year. And I'll just cut to the chase. I did not make it the third year again. And so I grew weary. And I was too weary to try again. I should have tried again, but weariness won out. But maybe you can relate to this kind of experience. 
you try really hard at something. And you put in a lot of effort. And the result is a continuous failing result. This is what makes one weary. It's one thing to work really hard at something. And by the end of the day, man, am I tired. Man, man, am I worn out. But weariness is where you keep at it and the result is the same without any hope of it changing. That is where weariness comes in. Well, this is what Agur was experiencing. He was weary and worn out from trying something. And what was he trying? He was trying to obtain wisdom. But the result, literally from the Hebrew, I am more brutish, that is animal-like, than a man. What he is saying is not only am I stupid, I'm too stupid to be a man. My intelligence is subhuman. It's animal-like. Imagine that, trying and trying and trying to gain wisdom and the result, you're more stupid than a man. Now we may say, well, you know, he's just beating himself up. He maybe just needs a little bit more self-esteem. However, if we believe that, contrary to what the Word of God explicitly says here, we end up missing the point here. You see, if there's hope for the stupidest man who has wearied himself of getting wisdom, then there is hope for anyone. And as we've gone through Proverbs, and now we come to this final section, you should be desiring wisdom. That has been the point of Proverbs. Look at the beauty and glory of wisdom, the value of wisdom. You should desire it. Maybe you do, but you say, what's the use? I'm foolish. I'm too foolish to ever change. There's no use in gaining wisdom. But was there any hope for this man, Agur? Who was the stupidest man alive? Well, our passage reveals that indeed there was. And in our passage today, we see how even the stupidest of men can gain wisdom. And so we're going to look at three keys to gaining wisdom. First is acknowledgement. Second is God's Word. And third is prayer. So first, acknowledgement. Wisdom is first gained by first acknowledging that you do not have it inherently. Now we read in verse 1 the words of Agur of Jacob. Now who is Agur? Well, simply, we don't know. We do not see his name appear anywhere else in Scripture. But perhaps that's the point. We all know who Solomon is, the most wise king. We would expect his words to be in a book like this. And yet, then we see this man out of nowhere that we do not know, the stupidest of men, his words appearing here in this book. What we see here is that there's hope for him. And if there's hope for him, there's hope for any of us. We do not need to be Solomon in order to gain his wisdom. Even if we are a girl, we can have it. 
So for, verse 1 goes on to say in the ESV, the man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Now some of your translations may say instead, to, or the man declares to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Eucal. Now the difference between that phrase, to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Eucal, and I am weary, O God, and worn out, while it may be big in our English, the difference in the Hebrew is a matter of a couple of dots. And so, which one is it? Well, what doesn't make sense or what sounds strange in the Hebrew is to say to Ithiel, to Ithiel twice. That's just not a common expression. What makes better sense in Hebrew is to say, I am weary and worn out. So likely that's what uh, this is in the original. But in any case, Agur makes a confession in verse 2. Surely I am too stupid to be a man, if not the understanding of a man. Now, as I already mentioned, he is not only saying, I don't have understanding, he is saying literally, I am more brutish than a man. All right, my intelligence is so low, it can't even be considered human life. And he goes on to say in verse 3, I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. So, not only has Agur not learned wisdom that's even available to natural man in the natural realm, he has not learned holy wisdom. He hasn't learned wisdom pertaining to the things of God. And then he asks in verse 4, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Now there's an important piece of historical background here that we need to know. What Agur is talking about here in these questions is what is referred to as the Harrow's Crusade in ancient Near Eastern belief. This is when a brave king or a famous sage would set out on a crusade to climb into heaven to try to obtain the mind of the gods in order to gain divine mysteries. The quest also entailed having might and power. Hence the saying, who has wrapped the waters in a garment? Who has established the ends of the earth? Now this may sound silly to us, but it was a popular belief to them back then. But the principle here is that this is the world's way of obtaining wisdom. It's by one's own strength, one's own might, one's own ability. I by my own crusade. This was a challenge that appealed to man's pride, where he put a lot of stock and trust in his ability to obtain it. This is similar to Satan and Adam in the garden, of which Isaiah 14 speaks, where they said in their heart, I will ascend. I will set my throne on high. However, where did that leave them? It left them as stupid as a brute beast, a serpent crawling around on his belly. But there's an inquiry here that shows some glimmers of hope for Agur. Agur implies that one has done this and that this one has a son. And of course, we know that this one is God. God is the one who has gathered the wind in his fist. He holds the whole world in his hands. 
He's the creator of the ends of the earth. And it is our Lord Jesus Christ who both descended from heaven and ascended again. This is what he declared in John 3 where he said, No one has ascended to heaven except him who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He is the hero. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We do not obtain wisdom by our work, by our effort, by our discernment, by trusting in ourselves that we are wise. Rather, it is a matter of God freely giving wisdom to even dummies like a girl. And He gives us a free gift. As James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what does it say? Fought on that crusade, try harder. No, let him ask God. There has to be more to it than that. I mean, some work, I need to achieve something so I can, you know, win a prize. I can boast. No, no such boasting. Let him ask. That's it. To the God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Beloved, this is, after all, the way it is with our salvation. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. How do you get righteousness? A righteous standing before God so that you are perfect on judgment day? It's believing in your heart that Christ died and rose again for you. And that's it. It is simply trusting in Christ and His righteousness alone and His work alone. Because He is the one who ascended to heaven for us after descending all the way down into the abyss, bearing that abyss for us, being cast into the heart of the sea for our sins. And so it is by Him and Him alone that we gain all these blessings, including wisdom. It is not by our great efforts, works, or attempts at reforming ourselves that we secure our way to God. It was God coming down to us in Christ, wisdom incarnate, in order to bear the abyss of hell for all our foolishness on the cross, and then rising again from the grave, ascending into heaven, and us simply receiving this as a free gift. And so it is with wisdom, even for the stupidest of men. But it starts by acknowledging our inability and our futility of all our attempts to gain it. And then looking to God alone, since He is a generous one who gives wisdom to all without reproach. And we keep asking, knowing our ongoing foolishness. Now, through what means does God give this wisdom? Well, this brings us to the second key of gaining wisdom, and that is His Word. Look at verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do you want the wisdom of God? Then go to God's Word. God has stooped down from heaven to speak His wisdom to us. He even speaks it in our own language, using our own experiences and our own 
figures of speech to reach us with this. This is what we have in the Bible, His written Word, which was spoken by the Holy Spirit through His appointed prophets and apostles. And it is only this one book that is 100% pure, free from any and all error whatsoever, not even in a single jot or tittle. As Scripture says here, using a figure of speech, every word of God has been refined. This is the figure of putting gold in refiner's fire to test it. Well, God's Word, as it were, is put in that furnace and no dross or impurities came out whatsoever. It is pure. It is perfect in every way. And so this proves to be a shield, a protection from falsehood, a protection from the beliefs that are destructive to men's lives and souls. Sometimes we can think that by trusting God, by following His Word, will actually lead us to more harm because of how people have abused His Word. may lead us to believe that we need to get away from God's Word or disregard portions of it if we want to be saved. But God says here that all who trust Him and what He says in His Word will be kept safe. He is a shield that is one who protects those who trust in His Word. That is where safety is. And trusting His Word means adding nothing to it. Verse 6, Do not add to His words, lest He rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Now, obviously, additional revelation that comes after this, such as Proverbs 30, verse 7, or Proverbs 31, or Zechariah, revelation that came after this, is not what is meant here by adding to His Word. That is actually God adding to His revelation through human instrumentation. Rather, what this is saying is mere men are not to add their own words to God's Word to say, thus says the Lord, for God has not spoken. Now, this does not mean that we can't use our own words to explain God's Word. Words of explanation, like what I'm doing here in this sermon. So the common and established words or grammar of the true church, such as the Trinity, words like consubstantial, the two natures of Christ, the faith once for all handed down through the Apostles' Creed, is not adding to God's Word, but rather explaining God's Word. The creeds and confessions are not God's Word. They're subject to God's Word, but they are words other than direct quotes of the Bible to explain God's Word. We see this, the Bible teaches us to do this, such as in Nehemiah chapter 8, where it says that they read the Word and then they gave the sense or they exposited the Word, which doesn't mean they just reread it. Rather, they explain in words other than direct quotes of the Bible the words of the Bible. But we don't equate those words. But God's words. Adding to God's word things like, I got this word from God. God told me to do this. You do not question God, do you? God's the one who told it to me. How do you know God told it to you? How do you know it's not your deceitful heart? Or Satan telling you that? Just matching your desires. 
Or God is telling you that you need to do such and such. This is stamping words, our own words, with God's authority when they should not be. This includes false religions like Roman Catholicism that adds their tradition as equal authority with the Word of God. This includes false prophets like Joseph Smith and Ellen G. White who claim new revelation from God. It also includes binding people's consciences to that which God never bound their conscience to. Saying, thus says the Lord, where God has not spoken. It's legalism. It's to speak with binding infallible authority where God has not. But God's word, the Bible alone, is the only infallible authority from God. That it is, it does not fail. There is no questioning the words of God. There is no testing it by someone else or some other standard to see if these things are so. Whatever God says is perfect, pure, and no man can stand over it in judgment or reject any word of it. And if anyone adds or takes away from his word, eventually that one will be proved a liar. Such as Edgar Wiseman. Have you ever heard of Edgar Wiseman? He's the one that wrote 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. He sold 4.5 million copies. And he was proved to be a liar. Now, of course, people didn't seem to care because I think he wrote you know, 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989. You know, I've got my formula wrong or, or whatever. But nevertheless, he was a liar, and it was clear in God's providence that he was. So may we hold fast to God's word, knowing that that is the only place from which we gain holy wisdom. A third and final key to gaining wisdom is prayer. So after acknowledging that he is without wisdom and that the word of God is pure, Agur now calls out to God in prayer. Verses 7-9. through nine. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So Agur asks for two things here. First, remove falsehood from him. And second, meet his needs. So first in verse 8, Agur asks for falsehood and lying to be removed far from him. He doesn't even want to play with it a little bit. Let it be removed far from me, he says. He is asking that his deceitful heart not lead him astray that there's no false thinking in his mind, and that he is not led astray by any sort of false teaching or lies. And this is what we tend to do. We tend to ignore God's word or come up with my own interpretation, which is what we can do in our day, that does not require us to give anything up that we don't want to. We tend to be driven by our own emotions and fears. But to gain wisdom, we need to ask God through prayer to remove all false thinking far from us, so that we think rightly about God, so that we think rightly about His Word, we think rightly about His ways. Then Agur asks for God to give him neither poverty nor riches. He essentially asks here for God to give him his daily bread, to simply meet his needs. Now we would all pray to not have poverty, 
But how many of us would pray to not have riches? Now, it's not inherently sinful to have riches. In 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul does not say to those who are rich, repent of being rich. Rather, he warns against the temptation that comes with riches and calls the rich to make sure that they are being rich in good works, not being settled in the comforts that come with being rich to the neglect of serving others, especially the church. And so what Agur is recognizing here are temptations that come with either one. By being rich, you may say, who is the Lord? I don't need Him. Neither do I care to know Him. And this is our temptation in our sinful flesh. We want to find ultimate happiness in this world rather than drawing in close and deep communion to God. But the other temptation is to steal and then lie about it under oath due to poverty. Now, there's never any excuse for sin, but Agur is recognizing his own temptations and praying in light of them. This is wisdom. To pray to God in light of our own temptations. Not turning a blind eye to our temptations and saying, I am so strong, I would never do that. But rather, to recognize our weaknesses and pray to God, looking to Him and His strength in light of them. So we see here that Agur has gained wisdom. That means there is hope for dummies like Agur. But this wisdom comes from first, acknowledging our lack of wisdom inherently. Second, going to God's Word, the only pure and fallible and perfect Word from which we gain wisdom. And third, seeking it from the Lord in prayer, knowing that He freely gives it to all, generously, without reproach. And this gives us great encouragement, knowing that there is wisdom for dummies. Amen. Well, let's pray. Our Father, we ask that You would give us that wisdom that we don't have in and of ourselves. That You would help us to glean Your Word for wisdom. We would dive into the depths of Your Word. And that You would direct our paths in it. That You would remove falsehood far from us. Let us live in accordance with the truth of Your Word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.